chicas, chicas, y chicos. Hello and welcome, a very warm welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast. Spreading and sharing the supreme delight of this wonderful and fast-growing game. I'm your host, Minter Dial, and this podcast is brought to you by Paddle 1969, the largest manufacturer of premium paddle courts, one court for life by Paddle 1969. The Joy of Paddle is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information about the network, go ahead and check out evergreenpodcast.com. So this is the inaugural season of the Joy of Paddle podcast. And to start with, we're going to do an episode once every fortnight. Episodes will drop every other Wednesday at 12 noon London time. Please let us know what you think about the show by putting up a rating and review. So welcome to the third episode of the Joy of Paddle podcast. It's with my old friend Gabo Loredo. Gabo was my first real paddle tennis coach. He's a paddle phenomenon, a Mexican whose professional career began as a tennis coach for elite juniors. In 2010, he switched to paddle to become an international director and coach, having coached in Italy, Mexico, England, Estonia, Argentina, and of course, in Spain. He's coached the Swedish and Finnish national paddle teams for both men and women, and he now lives in Sweden, running the Instagram-friendly Tasty Paddle, along with Rika Lane, where they run clinics and camps. Please enjoy. Game on! My dear Gabo, it is so fun to have you on the show, The Joy of Paddle. You, sir, I think really were instrumental in bringing out the joy of paddle for me. How about, in your own words, Gabo, who are you? Well, uh, I'm a Mexican paddle enthusiast. Uh, I have devoted the last 12 years to paddle because, for what you said, I, I found it uh, fun. And, and, you know, I got very passionate about it. So that's who I am. So tell us, so you're Mexican, Gabo, uh, yes. the, the, the origin country of paddle with the Corqueras. Uh, tell us your route to paddle because you started in tennis, as I recall. Yes, actually, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting because even though paddle, you know, was created in Mexico, I didn't know the sport until after college. Uh, I basically graduated in California. Uh, I was on a scholarship playing tennis. And then after that, I went back to Mexico and then one friend called me one day and said, hey, Gabo, I need you to do me a favor. I'm playing this game called Paddle, and I need to show up to this tournament, but my partner is injured, so I just need you to be there. And then I said, um, okay, and what do I need to do? I said, just, it's like tennis. Just be at the net and don't worry about it. And, of course, it didn't go very well. But that's <laughs> how I, that's how I uh, actually started Paddle. And then, you know, obviously we lost badly. And then after that, I stay and watch the next matches. I watch the semifinals. I watch the finals. And I was in love with the sport. Wow. So after that, I, I went completely crazy with it. And I decided to change my life and my business. I was a tennis coach at that time. I had a very nice job in California running uh, the junior program for, for 13 clubs. And I decided to leave that and basically relearn from scratch what Paddle was about, and I don't regret it. I, I think it was a very good choice for me. You clearly also moved to Spain, which is quite a, a powerful country for Paddle. How instrumental was that in helping you get to learn, or by the time you arrived there, did you feel already up to snuff? 
Well, actually, where I started, Minter, was in Argentina. So after oh. this story I was telling you that I went crazy with paddle, then I went online and found the, you know, I Googled the best paddle academy in the world, and I was sent to Argentina. And that's how I met Jorge Nicolini. And basically, he was my godfather when it comes to paddle, right? So um, that's where I spent about eight months doing nothing but paddle. Uh, it was a beautiful experience, very hippish, because, you know, I was at the club all day, helping with whatever, and I would trade, you know, cleaning the cafeteria or helping to swipe the, the club at night in exchange of training, food, uh, you know, a place to sleep. So it was really nice. It was uh, one of the best times in my life, even though, you know, it doesn't sound maybe <laughs> as exciting, but it was. And I was basically always available to play with anyone. And then when coaches were coaching, I was always there, you know, showing them and, and, and just watching what they were teaching and, and trying to just get as much information as I could from Padel. And yes, then I started training myself. And basically in, in eight months, I became top 25 in Argentina. So then my, nice. my godfather told me, look, there is the, the, the only tour that is in Padel is in Spain. So maybe you should move there. And I was like, hmm, that sounds really exciting. So actually, that was when instead of World Tour, there was a tour called Padel Pro Tour. And that's when I came to, to Spain. That, that's the predecessor to World Paddle Tour, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's how everything started. And then I, I ended up in, in Spain. Uh, I love Europe always. And then, well, I was, I was uh, able to get a job here and get started and just started doing paddle full time. And that's how I, um, I came here. But, you know, of course, I believe more in the Argentinian school and in, in the Argentinian method and all that. I, I, of course, the Spanish method is fantastic, but they are very different, if you, if you so ask me. Give us, give us the, the short understanding, description of the Argentinian method and the Spanish method. How do well, you describe Well, I think those? you can... You can see, no, also with the way the players play. I mean, of course, we're talking about professionals, no? But um, to me, the Argentinian way is a way to understand paddle as, you know, being very patient, very defensive, cooking the point, building the point from, you know, from the defense and using a lot of lobs, choosing very well when to, when to smash, when to go for a winner, because otherwise, if you don't do it right, they will counterattack you. So it's a very defensive slash counterattacking way of playing and I think the Spanish way is is more you know especially the way paddle is evolving is more about you know attacking 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 smash go for it uh, the points need to be shorter and I'm not so into into that kind of style of course it's a great style if you if you can perform it and also the training the training you know uh, I'm used to training with two balls three balls in my hand and, and, and that's it. We need to learn how to rally. We need to learn how to control the ball. We need to understand the pace of the game. And, you know, my experience with the Spanish academies is more about, you know, hit a lot of balls, hit hard, uh, do baskets. Uh, it's very different. So mm. I, I believe a lot more in, in the way, you know, Dineno and Stupa play more than in the way uh, Coelho and Garrido and these guys. Play. So, mm. Indeed. Course, well, I, I, Chris, I, I, I tend to love the, the defensive side of things as well. But, um, but then, Gabo, your journey after Spain, you are 
running Tasty, <laughs> Tasty yes. Paddle. Tell us, oh, tell us oh. your involvement in Paddle today. Well, uh, actually, you know, my plan at the beginning was to compete, and I did for a while, but then I became a father, and things became difficult, uh, you know, to have the freedom to travel around, and then the, the tour started, you know, becoming more demanding that, you know, it was placed in, in different places, and, and it was just difficult. So then I started um, running, like, my own academy kind of thing, and it went very well. I always also enjoyed the teaching part of every sport. I, I really am passionate about teaching and coaching. So that's what I've been doing the last decade, basically. I, I found that there was uh, an opportunity for me to grow my business abroad, abroad meaning Sweden, Finland, basically Nordic countries, because I saw the need for uh, English speaking coaches. And also, uh, to be honest, business-wise is probably the best option it has been the best option in the last decade to, to teach in the Nordics because the prices are higher. Uh, people are very committed. They are eager to learn. And, you know, it's, it's been a great uh, business model for me. And that's what I've been doing uh, the last 10 years, working with uh, Swedish Federation, working with the Finnish Federation and, and traveling wherever my services are required. Mm. And then we just started a brand also maybe it's been around for a year or so and it's, it's more for the fun of it also because we couldn't find any racket that we like so then we say if I cannot find what I want then I need to do it myself so then we did our own rackets and um, they are doing well and we like to play with it we are proud to play with our own brand and, and that's basically what I'm doing trying to 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 show paddle to as many people as we can so uh, congratulations on all that. I have, I'm the new owner of one of your rackets, uh, <laughs> Tasty. Um, but the Swedish story is very intriguing. I mean, it is kind of an outlier for being such a developed paddle world, perhaps overdeveloped, according to some people. Tell us what your version of how Sweden, why Sweden is such a paddle destination today. Honestly, I mean, I'm sure there are uh, many different opinions on this, but what I have seen, because, you know, I was there since the beginning. I was there when there was only one club in Helsingborg, in the south of Sweden, with mm -hmm. five courts. And actually the guy, Anders Matson, that was the one that opened this club, he was criticized and, and told that he was crazy, that he was stupid because he had a squash business and tennis business and he refused to, to continue with that in order to open paddle and people laugh at him and i remember that when we when he took us there um it was it was at the beginning of course it was like a trending thing it was new it wasn't easy at the beginning but then he was uh you know he was a, a guy with a with a vision because you know paddle became huge i mean it's, it's huge in sweden uh, and i think that the main reason is because paddle will be huge wherever it goes to be honest, then um, Swedish have really uh, get involved, not only uh, enthusiast people, but also celebrities. Yes, we have people like Slatan, uh, the football player. Uh, we have one guy from Eurovision, that one with Eurovision also is attached to this. Uh, you know, we have uh, a lot of soccer players playing paddle, tennis players, you know, Jonas Bjorkman, Formal number one in the world in doubles. He's now the, the main guy 
for the federation. So, I mean, of course, when you see all these celebrities coming together, uh, it, it, it makes it easier no? for, the, for the sport to grow. And then Sweden is a, it's a, it's a country of tennis players, amazing tennis players. I mean, you remember this generation of Edberg, Magnus Norman, uh, you know, you name Bjorn it. Borg, perhaps. Bjorn even. Borg. I mean, there were many players. Yeah. So sure. I think that also helps because paddle is probably the perfect sport when you transition from tennis or any racket sport to paddle. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's hard to describe how fun it is, you know? Uh, and certainly. So- I'm based in the UK. Uh, I have lots of knowledge about paddle in the States. Both of these countries are, are doing, you know, have a 200 paddle courts hmm. compared to a Sweden or a Spain with, you know, literally yes. 20,000 in Sweden. I mean, in Spain. But what is it that you, you feel is for sure why paddle will succeed wherever it starts? Well, I think it's because it brings people together. Uh, also, it's a sport, Minter, where, you know, we, we actually had the chance to play together uh, a month ago. And, you know, maybe our level might not be the same. No, I, we, I, I, I agree. <laughs> but we are, you know, we are, we are still sharing the same court, having fun. We both got a beautiful workout. We were sweating. We had fun. We had long points. We had, you know, I think there is no other sport in the world, Minter, where you can do that where you can have fun playing with people that are not exactly at your level, but you still enjoy the game. And it's very hard to describe, but to me, that's the magic of, of paddle. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and then one personal thing, Minter, I always say in, in, in tennis, I was very, very grumpy. I, I remember breaking one year close to 28 rackets. Yes. Wow. And, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a person that misbehaves on court. I, I'm, I'm, I'm normally happy and, and, you know, it doesn't take, it takes a lot for me to get frustrated. But tennis, in that way, I find it a very frustrating sport. When paddle, it has never even crossed my mind to, to hit a racket on the ground or to get in a bad mood or frustrated. Like, I just always have fun playing paddle. I don't know why. That I cannot explain. But there is always a big smile in my face when I'm when I'm playing paddle, and and that's something I cannot really describe why. But one day maybe I, I will be able to do so. But there is something about the game that is just so enjoyable. Well, this is maybe what the joy of paddle is going to be about: is finding out exactly why. Um, so listen, I want to talk about you as a player. Um, I'll get to some of your coaching ideas in a moment, but how do you describe yourself as a player? And the, the way I'm going to ask you is what sort of animal would you say you are when you play paddle? I, I, I think I, I have it very um, clear. I, I would say I'm similar to a panther. Mm. Um, uh, yes, a black panther? I, the black panther, yes. Why not? Uh, yes, no, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very defensive, but at the same time, I do like the action. I like the fast game. Of course, first I need to build that situation where I can play fast. But at the same time, you know, I told you I'm a forehand player. Uh, and for being a forehand player, I'm considered, or I have always been considered a very aggressive player. So that's what probably makes me an okay player on the forehand side. You know, I always say on the forehand side, I can make a difference. On the backhand side, I'm just one more player. Yeah, but uh... yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of you, when you look at the 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 winning combinations, whether on the women or the men's side today, both the right hand side, well, Delphi Brea 
I'm thinking of in particular, and and Dinina, uh, Dineno, have the ability to pop balls out of the court and have a very aggressive Iboraz from the right. So they they're not any you know slouches when you hit towards them. Would that be no. fair? Yes, and not only aggressive with the shots, Minter, because of course at that level everybody has every shot. But you know they many times are the leaders of the of the of the pair. They are very strong mentally, and that's something that sometimes people don't pay attention to. But you know, Dineno, for example, in that pair, even though Stupa is the one that you know wins more points and is the one putting the cherry of the cake and all that, the 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 guy holding the team together is is Dineno, eh? Is the brain? Is the is the strong guy? Is the leader? And this so, is why he's your favorite player professionally. I love him. Yes, also because I know him uh, as a person, and I, I I just love humble players. That's why also I, I really I really like the way Argentinians are because in my experience, when I have met them in person, they are humble. They are they are what you see. You know, they they don't they don't become you know arrogant or impolite. They, they are always what what you see. Same as Tapia. You know, Tapia is probably the best player in the world at the moment and he's just so nice and so likable and so you know there's no drama with them and I, I I love that I love that they compete they always play hard and and if they lose they are okay with it also you know they congratulate the the opponents and, and they are happy so and the other thing I, about Dineno of course is he had that horrible accident so he came back yes. from that and that that is also shows a lot of tenacity and Yes, that was a will. very, very, very tough thing. And I, and I hope actually, uh, I hope one day someone will make a documentary about, about this, not just for Padel, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very nice story and very inspiring, I believe. So hopefully one day he's willing to tell that story to the world because I think it's amazing what he has achieved. So you're, you're just, you're gaslighting me uh, here. Uh, Gabo, so you're speaking to a guy who's done a documentary film. Now I've got. A, I love paddle. I like. I've done documentary. Hmm. What he's telling me. Anyway. <laughs> so what? Right, Gabo. What about your favorite shot, and why is that your favorite shot? I my favorite shot is the low. Boring. Oh, yeah. nice. Boring. Yes. Are you kidding? No. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I will tell you honestly, especially as I get older, why I, I, I like it and why I think it's so important is because in order for me to play with younger players, which most of the time I'm playing against younger players now, it's if my lobs are able to neutralize the players I'm playing against, you know, then I always have a chance. And the only shot that, you know, can create that possibility for me is the lob because it gives me time because it pushes the player a little bit farther from the attacking area. And I just think it's, it's, such, a, uh, it's such a fun shot to, to play because, you know, when you execute it properly, you feel that you are in control of things. So, but of course it's not easy, especially nowadays that everyone smashes from everywhere, Minter. So. Right. Well, so I'm in, in, in having played with you a bit, um, I, I noticed how you're, you're, you can obviously do sky high lobs, but so the idea is to get the lob quickly over them somehow and then over their, their wrong shoulder. So they have to maybe play a backhand shot. Is that something that you are actively, well, how do you actually attack or at least, you know, look at approach 
lobbying when you're playing good players? Yeah, they, what you said is, 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 I mean, there are many ways. And this is, this is lovely to hear from you because people just think, oh, a lob. Yeah, but the lob is, is very complex. Like, it can get very complex, you know. One thing is to always play to the left shoulder. Mm -hmm. Another thing, especially with professionals, Minter, is that if you play a lob and they see it, you know, because they are looking at how your racket is looking, how your body position is looking. So if they read it, they will always get behind and under the ball and they will smash. So you have to do combos. Combos as meaning you play a low shot, you step in, and maybe you play the low with your volley. Why? Because that will take a little bit of time away from the opponent. So, I mean, there are many, many different, we can say many different lob styles. You know, there is the fast lob, there is the super high lob, if you don't play indoors, of course. But, uh, I mean, the lob is very, it's very complex because it has many different ways to play it. And depending on the opponents, you need to play it in this way or that way. Another thing, of course, that's different is, is outdoor, indoor, when it comes yes. to the lobs, because sun, wind, outdoors, yes. that's a big deal, right? We, we saw in Valladolid how so many of these balls were skied high and the sun was difficult. And all they did is just put it, you could see these pros struggling just to push the ball back <laughs> with some sort of meek bandeja. Yes, we call it the potato shot, yeah? Just like a potato bandeja. Just put it in, and then... Uh, and you're, you're lucky you don't screw it up, you know? But, <laughs> right? So, all right, what about you? I mean, you're a very accomplished player for having played with you. Uh, you have all the shots, of course, you're coaching. What is your the shot that you would like to improve? What's the, what's Gabo's weakness, per se? I, I think uh, I, I could improve every shot, but, of course, one of my weaknesses, or what I'm not... You know, I don't feel so comfortable is with the overhead game in general. It's not mm. easy, especially when you play, uh, you know, professionals. Remember that any shot that you execute a little bit wrong, which basically mm. translates into my overhead being too short, the player will approach and come to the net and crush me. Or if I play a little bit too bouncy after the rebound, they will counter attack me. So. That's where I, I could improve, especially, you know, trying to do less of those mistakes, mm -hmm. uh, execution mistakes. But of course, that's what makes the, the game so exciting because, you know, I miss that. That's why I'm going back to competing, Inter, because I miss making a little mistake and getting punished for it. You understand? And I have to play <laughs> professionals for that to happen. Right. So Who are good that, enough to punish you because I was not exactly. able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the overhead game is very complex in general. It is. I think that's where a lot of people should focus also because you hit a lot of bandejas and víboras and, and hooks and rulos. And it's one of the shots that you use the most. And so, I mean, of course, the bajada isn't an overhead, practically speaking, but it is in terms of the style. It's above your head, the bajada. Yes, it's it's and very having, similar. Having to, yeah. But it's another shot to have to learn as well. Yeah, because... but the, the problem with the bajada is that once you play the bajada, which is okay, you might have a very good bajada and you will win a lot of points. But at the, at the end of the day, after doing the bajada, you are back. You are in the defensive area. So then things become difficult when you, when you lose the net, yes? Doesn't mean that you are not going to be able to, to win the point from the back, but for sure it's more difficult than if you actually keep the net. Yeah, well, th there comes the Spanish versus the Argentinian style and then the <laughs> transition to the front. So, um, Gaba, in all your experience, many, you know, a dozen years now, I guess, of playing paddle, do you have a, a funny moment that stands out for you? Well, actually, uh, 
what I was telling you at the beginning, you know, for me, the, the funniest and craziest moment I had was when my friend called me and the way I discovered mm. Paddle. Because, the, first, you know, the first time. Yes, because first the way he described it, I mean, I still remember his words of saying, nah, it's just, you just need to be at the net. It's like tennis, but on a, on a mini court. That was his description of Paddle. I mean, that's <laughs> how clueless, that's how clueless my friend was about Paddle because he has nothing to do with that. But anyway, and also it was, it was really embarrassing because, you know, I play against two players that I knew from tennis and they will never even get a set from me in tennis. So of course they, they were like, Oh, this is our time to, to, you know, for payback. Yes. And, and, you know, they kill us, they kill us. And it was, it was hilarious now that I think about it to see that, you know, they were doing loves to me and I was thinking like a tennis player, tennis smashing and the guys were waiting by the net and then just did, I don't know how many four meters, and, and, you know, for me, that was, um, I didn't get upset. I, I was I was just laughing, trying to understand what was happening. Because, you know, probably you remember the first time you play paddle. It's, it's really weird. And, you know, you come as a tennis player, good player in tennis. And, you know, we are cocky because we are, tennis players are cocky by nature. And, and you know, I thought I was going to rock the world there. And, and you know, first round, 6-0, 6-1, 30 minutes. <laughs> so to me, that was hilarious. I mean, I still laugh about it when I remember. And, and that's probably the funniest thing that has happened to me on the paddle course, to be honest. I love it. What a good lesson. Well, speaking of lessons, what about um, uh, uh, your life lesson with regard? To, I mean, sports is always a way of learning uh, about life. But what is what is specific to paddle for giving you, Gabo, a life lesson? Oof. I mean, I guess um, one one thing that has really been unique in my in my journey in paddle is the amount of people that shares the same passion i mean it's not easy you can have different hobbies yes but in paddle is it's just it's just amazing how for example you probably experience this even more than me because you travel a lot Minter, and you just go to a paddle club and you will have a good time. You will play with four strangers that at the end of the one hour and a half, two hours you played, you have a drink and you become kind of like not friends, but you feel like, you know, you feel welcome. And it's a beautiful way to break the ice. I think uh, in that way, that's what paddle, uh, that's why it has become my lifestyle. And, and you know, uh, I have seen a lot of people uh, changing their life and changing their jobs because they they are crazy about just dedicating and devoting their life to paddle and and i think um there is no like i said it's hard for me to think of anything else in the world a sports like that you know will make someone live an engineering job making seven thousand a month for because you want to play paddle a little bit and then you are willing to make maybe two thousand a month but you're happy you feel fulfilled and i think that's what paddle has shown me that you know you have to do the things you're passionate about and i think paddle opens that door for a lot of people that's beautiful i, I can't help but think i mean i totally agree with with your assessment but i can't help but think that some level it's also because it's still for some reason esoteric i mean i've been playing since 1974 so i feel like i've been around and I and I don't remember my first times on a court. That's, that was too long ago. But um, it, there's still this feeling of it's new. 
And so we're sort of, we're part of the adventurers. There's also a little bit of that feeling. And I'm wondering to what extent that will diminish, you know, once it sort of becomes so popularized. That we don't know, but yes, it's true what you say. I mean, there is, for example, anybody that wants to become a coach still has room to, to, to become a coach and to be okay and to actually make a living coaching. I mean, many of these stories that I tell you that I, that I have seen, I have experienced with my own skin. It's from people that, you know, they were working in a company, just normal company in a bank, in a, whatever, in a, a lawyer, and then they decide to, to become coaches. And, you know, because the sport is new, you still, you still have room to, you know, start from scratch and, you know, educate yourself and build little by little your, your you know, your clientele and then become a coach and, and actually be respected. So I think uh, that's one of the, of the reasons, as you said, Padel is still new to the world. And, you know, as you see in many places, it's just, it's just booming now. So there is still room for, for anyone that wants to become a Paddle enthusiast or, or coach to, to, to do business with it. I was talking with my cousin Nale about the United States and you yes. know, let's say that they, they end up with 10,000 courts in a few years. The, the, one of the challenging things will actually be having good paddle coaches because that's we need you can't just sort of switch from tennis overnight you've got to unlearn a whole lot of things and then relearn and uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there yes and the coaching mentor has you know has that's another good subject you can talk about one day but it has its, its positives and its negatives yes positive because it opens the opportunities for a lot but in the on the negative side and we get picky about it there is a lot of bad coaches there Yes, that already get paid enough. For example, in Sweden, for example, it doesn't matter what kind of coach you are, Minter, if you start teaching tomorrow, you will charge 100 euros an hour. Regardless, right. eh? just because the market is there, like nobody charges less. Yeah. So in that way, I think eventually, hopefully the International Paddle Federation does something like, like it has been done in tennis, where you know the certifications are more serious, that there is some control on, on who's coaching and, and, you know, the knowledge they have. Uh, so, but, at, at, you know, at the moment, in that way, Paddle is still in diapers. Yeah. Well, you just, and with that knowledge, you can really, uh, so much of it has to come through experience. You, yes. to, under, to, to understand how to unlearn the volleying in the backcourt that tennis players do, or the desire to smash every ball. You have to go through the experience of unlearning to relearn, I think, in terms of gaining that true knowledge in, you know, in your mindset like you did. You work from you know, being the tennis player to being now, uh, you know, and you're still, of course, a, a very good tennis player, but you, you've, you have a paddle mentality. You have a paddle game. Yeah. And not every coach that plays tennis is going to get that just because they read about it or see it on a exactly. on YouTube. Exactly. And also taking the time, Inter. For example, I just told you at the beginning that I was eight months in Argentina, day in and day out at a paddle club, playing with, if a ladies match was, you know, short one player, I will join. If a professional match was short one player, I will join. I was there for whatever. Yes, I was needed. And, and, you know, it took me about a year to, to actually believe that I was able to teach someone. But the problem is some people take a three-course three day and, you know, uh, then they say, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to be a coach. And, and then that's it. They don't, 
they don't care about getting more educated or or they are not humble enough to say look i still need to learn well um i, I i'm just hitting 60 soon and i still think i need to learn so much more so gabo um you you have uh, your tasty academy you have a, a tremendous presence on instagram um, I, I would love for you to tell, just before you tell us the close-off, what um, what led you to to drive the Instagram approach with your coaching? I mean, it seems like you're a strong space. Maybe you're on YouTube channel as well, but you, you seem to do a really good job on social. Yes, well, a lot of the social is thanks to Rika. Rika Line is my business partner. She's a lady from Finland that probably one day you will interview. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's very simple, Minter. Um, Social media to me, and this is the way I educate my daughter with social media, is there to help others, to connect with others. And the only thing I'm trying to achieve with my Instagram is to help other paddle players with what I do, with tips that I want to share. Nothing else. For example, you will never see a picture of me on, on, on my Insta, you know, showing my beautiful hair. And, and you know, because I could be a, a hair model. But, but that to me is not important. To me, what is important is that if you follow my account, you are like, okay, this is helping me or it's giving me a perspective on something. Then you might not like it. You might agree or not. But the only thing I want to do is I want to try to help other paddle players and encourage them to do what I consider they should do or whatever works out for me when I do it. So that's the only purpose. And I think people actually are able to feel that because you know we have gotten a, a lot of response from people and you know we we don't we don't do giveaways we don't do anything of that to, to grow our community but they still they still follow us so it is beautiful to 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 have an instagram account where all you want to do is help others and share your passion for paddle and and, and i think the the feedback we get is is very positive the proof is in the pudding, uh, Gabo. So tell us, tell listeners where they can reach you, check out your Instagram account, and also eventually get a chance to, to learn from you. Yes, well, uh, the, 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 the Instagram is uh, Tasty Play Hard. Then I have my own personal Insta, which is private, uh, and it's Coach Gabo84. And then um, probably for those that are interested in, in maybe getting to know more about our tasty concepts, coaching, playing. Uh, we do camps. We do camps uh, in Sweden. We do camps in Spain. Uh, also, we have our main location in Stockholm, in Ledap. It's a, it's a paddle club. So, yeah, I mean, they, they can surely find us if they really want to visit us, yes? Just like you did. I think I uh, you, you had a good time in Stockholm. You saw how nice the club is where we are. So My goodness. Uh, it's just a beautiful club. Panoramic courts, beautiful facilities, Mondo carpets, and you uh, leading. So, Gabo, thank you very much for coming on. As I like to sign off my podcast with a good old vamos. <laughs> okay, Minter, thank you. The pleasure is mine. And I wish you lots of uh, success with this podcast. I think it's, be, it's very interesting and you are a great host. Gracias, señor. <laughs> so I hope you've enjoyed this Joy of Paddle episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to be the first in queue for the next episode. And if you like what you hear, please do share around with other paddle aficionados. This is a sport that deserves to be played by absolutely everyone. And if you've got a story that you'd like to share, 
please send me an email or a better yet a voice note at nminterdial at gmail.com. With that, thanks for listening and see you on the next episode of the Joy of Paddle podcast. Vamos! Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. <laughs>